Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Welcome to a special episode of the Guilty Feminist Culture Club. Today we are looking at a brand new television show on BBC and Peacock called Everything I Know About Love, based on Dolly Alderton's smash hit book of the same name. Now that book was a memoir of Dolly's time living in London as a young 20-something in around 2012. And this is a dramatization. It's a fictionalized dramatization of that. This show is about four friends, one story of great love, a messy, raucous stumble into bad dates and heartaches, and surviving your 20s. So today, I am with Jessica Regan, who is an actor, rather alumni. It's going to become relevant in a minute. Sure is. And co creator and co host of Best Pick Movie Podcast. And our very special guest is one of the four leads of this show. And her name is Alia Adolphin. She plays the wonderful Amara. I'll play you the trailer so you get the idea. And then we'll join the conversation with Alia and Jess. Max? Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Is it hard being the prettiest girl in the entire world? <laughs> Seriously, we're leaving in five minutes. Okay, well, that's exactly how long it takes me to get ready. The first Friday night in our first London house. Ritual. This girl is my childhood sweetheart. What's this? It's a list of things to talk about in case there are any awkward silences. Oh, council tax. Yeah. Russell Brown. Maggie! Buddy? Jesus Christ! Uh, hi! 
Who's it from? Who do you think? I just got a boyfriend. Nothing will change, Maggie. That's only a thing people say when everything's changing. Birdie's really defected, <laughs> hasn't she? Yeah. That's okay. You sure? Yeah. Everyone I know has got so old and unfun. Hi. And I'm like, sorry, I want to live before I die. She drives me crazy. We're in this grubby, golden phase of life that is so short lived. You have always been my most important person. I don't know if we should be that to each other anymore. It's you. You're the romance. You make everything magic. Please welcome Alia. Ooh, thank you so much for being here. What a great pleasure, having just been immersed in the world of everything I know about love for the last few days. It's uh, Deborah's recommendation. So lovely to see you both. The RADA alumni is relevant, I should say, because you are also RADA alumni, but you left like last year? <laughs> yeah, literally last year. Um, around this time last year, yeah, it's gone so fast. It's crazy, but yeah. What a gig to get out the gate, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I was low-key mad at you because I was watching it going, <laughs> this is her first gig that I know of, her first television gig, I think it's fair to say. Um, and I was like, I was about 10 years in the game before I had an ounce of the relaxation, grace and presence that you bring effortlessly to the screen. I was in awe. I was like, wow. So yeah, I just wanted to, I just want to put that out there. Very impressed and low-key mad. Just saying. <laughs> Thank you so much. Truly. What yeah, it, a pleasure to watch you. It really is a phenomenal performance yeah. and and a lovely role. Were you excited when you got it? Over the moon. And it's that thing that you were saying about being in drama school. And I was in the like throes of it. So we're at that time where you're just dying to kind of get your teeth into a piece of material and play and go into a different world and figure out stuff and this just came along and it was like the best thing that I could have asked for at that time period where I was kind of on the threshold of leaving that kind of incubator that is drama school and going out into the big old world. Yeah. And because it's about tackling London and chasing your dreams for the first time in your early 20s, is this art imitating life for you? Oh, no, not as specifically to my experience, but it is art in, intimina, intimidating, intimidating, wow, words. Imitating. <laughs> That's fine. Imitating, yes. thank you. I was like, what is it? It is art imitating life for most of my friends. I think I was in drama school at that kind of period where Dolly kind of starts talking about during the book and things like that. And I'm a bit younger than the characters are in the story. So it's not such a parallel to my life, but there are so many things in that that are just like you do and you know, the sitting and chilling with your friends in a house, watching a movie, eating pizza. There's just so much realism and naturalism and relatability in that sense. So that was like really fun because I was like, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing. 
and now these girls are doing it. But I think that's kind of where it ended. Dolly, Dolly's friends, the, the way the world that she's written were a bit more, um, I don't know, lively than I than I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I felt, I felt pretty uncool, <laughs> I got to say. Um, like in my 20s, uh, I, I sort of experienced a lot the more adventures in my 30s when I was earning money. But in my 20s, I was so broke. It was a lot of wine at friends' houses, to be honest. Um, yeah. Which I think we do see yeah. in, the, yes. in the show. You know, they are sometimes strapped for cash and, and sitting around in, in the house and uh, buying cheap white wine and making the best of it. Yeah. I mean, just to give our listeners a flavour of it if they haven't watched it, and I'd love to go around and share and see what it did for both of you, Alia, you being in it and Jess, you know, having recently watched it. For me, it was really about that messy, messy period where you just don't know what you're doing with your life. You're grown up enough that you're out on your own and your parents aren't going to swoop in and save you except if you're lucky enough to have parents that can occasionally. Um, but you don't want that. You want to be big and brave and on your own, but you are still in some ways behaving like a kid and careering and crashing around. Um, a favourite scene of mine being the character that's then fictionalised off Dolly's character in real life, Maggie, getting so high on MDMA and everyone else being in bed and the only person who's up who she knows is having a party in Liverpool. The last train's gone, so she gets a mini cab to Liverpool. That's all the money she's got in the world, so she's got to have a friend bail her out to buy her a National Express bus ticket so she can get back the next day. Uh, so she's still behaving like a, very much like a kid. Um, but there's that desire to be desired, that desire to be in the party, where the party is to be a grown-up um, and play and also have these romances with your friends as well as attempt romance uh, with <laughs> sexual encounters and strangers and, and that kind of thing. The thing that I really related to is that I thought when I moved to, to London, I moved to London to go to to RADA in 2004. It was my first time here for, um, for the audition and my second time was moving here. Wow. And uh, I was I was such an innocent, like I cannot even describe. I, I don't know how I'm I'm still standing, to be honest. Um, and we didn't have smartphones when we moved here. There was no sat-nav, you know, and things were called Rupert Road and Rupert Street within blocks of each other. I was lost constantly. Um, and I, I, but I thought I would sort of step into this bohemian world of artists and that it would be like French salons and we'd all be up discussing literature till the sun came up and it really could not have been further from that you know mm -hmm. and the thing I related to this was with Maggie was I think one of the characters says in, in the, the chap she goes to see in Liverpool he goes or she says one of them says are you're afraid of sleep and I thought there were times when definitely it was like, no, don't go to bed. Let's stay up talking because because we'll never have this time back. And and this is it, isn't it, guys? And it's like, it's so not it. You don't know who you are. You've all the time in the world to find that out and kind of trying to force that to try and force life to happen, mm. I think is where is where she goes wrong. But what I'm very interested to know, how did you relate or connect? Um, you know, did, are you from London or or did you come here to train? You know, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I was born and raised in London, so right. London no fear on you. Through, so, <laughs> funnily enough, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But in in a sense of like the drama school world, I I feel like when you grow up in London, there's this thing 
where you kind of stay within your borough or like wherever you're from, like that's what you know, and you kind of don't really stray from it. Um, My experience and the experience of my friends around me is like going into central London was as big a trip as for somebody like coming into London and seeing the sites. Like it wasn't an everyday thing. So that transition into going to drama school, going to RADA, which is in like the middle of central London was like quite big for me because it was suddenly exposing myself to a bigger part of London. And I found that all the like international students in my year, <laughs> they knew more about where things were in London than I did. I don't, I don't do this all the time. So in a sense, the show did kind of coincide with the like way my mind was kind of opening to all the experience that London had to offer once I kind of went to drama school and you're encouraged to go out and watch plays and do things that kind of get in like enrich you culturally. So that kind of, expansiveness into wanting to like run around in the world that I feel from these girls in the show I definitely felt when I kind of entered that like threshold of drama school but in terms of like the actual like material in the show what I feel like I learned from it that line that you picked up on on when um her friend in Liverpool says to her you're afraid of falling asleep I feel like it's such a perfect way to kind of describe the way people in their 20s hold the idea of what your 20s is supposed to be. This thing, like you were saying, of constantly feels like it's running away from you. So you're not wanting to sleep and you're wanting to do as much as you can in the time that you can. And you realize that you're creating more stress and worry and anxiety (laughs) by thinking that it's about to end than than you do actually enjoying it and living in it. And um, this a thing that I think happens with these girls in the show is that they're so ready for adulthood and to have that independence and um, be their own person. But the actual adult world hitting them in the face is a lot more intimidating than any four of them kind of expect in different ways. And it's the mundanity of, being in your nine to five or doing something that isn't your passion and grappling with that kind of stuff. I think it, I see it in my friends and people I know, and I'm, I'm very, I'm like still at the beginning of my twenties. So I feel like I'm learning a lot from from how I should. Yeah. You got to kind of, you kind of got to live it vicariously and like dodge, be like, okay, I won't do what Maggie did there. And I won't do what Nell did there. Um, Speaking of which, Amara is, I would say, she starts out really as the sensible one that that she's not pursuing her passion. She, in inverted commas, uh, she's got a proper job, and she's the one who's buying mm. work clothes from ASOS and has got a bit of cash because she's got a nine to five that's well respected, and uh, she's doing what she's meant to do in a way, but she's got the secret passion. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I think. That is one of the things that excited me most about the role when I first saw it with her story, because the kind of hook is that she's good at her nine to five job. She she does that well. And she's like, like you said, producing an income for herself and it's exciting. But there's this thing that I think is in the back of a lot of 20 year olds heads and especially Amara at that stage is that. I should instead be doing the thing that like brings me joy and is exciting and is thrilling and isn't just gonna um, pay my rent, but is it feasible? Like, can I live like that? And that's kind of where we see her kind of towing the line throughout the like series. But the thing I think um, 
that kind of is her like downfall is that she wants to she wants everything to be perfect and stick in a box and make sense. And she wants to please everyone around her that she kind of just sabotages herself a bit. So uh, in, in that sense, I feel like it's just really relatable for so lots of 10 year olds about mm-hmm. doing what you think is right over and over and over again. Yeah. And it's really about like her secret passion that she's sneaking off to do is dance. Yes. Are you a trained dancer? Is that, is that, uh, is that one of the things you needed to bring to the role? Yes, I trained in dance when I was growing up. I was I was in love with acting, singing and dancing and kind of just begged my mum to take me to any classes that we could and were financially feasible and time-wise feasible doing it with school and she did. And I'm so happy and glad because, I mean, it's paid off now. But um, for the audition, I as well as a self-tape, I had to do like 30 seconds of a dance that I had to just choreograph and then send in. And um, my friend helped me, Sam, and we like recorded it and sent it off. And in that sense, it was super fun because not even thinking about getting the job or anything, it, it just felt like a completely very creative moment. And it was one of the first things that I felt were slightly related to her and Amara and that character. And so I was like, if I did get this, gosh, I kind of know what it feels like to just kind of do this thing and have to go back to life and remember how good that felt in your body to kind of be free in a space and do that. It was great. Yeah. Um, couple of things I have to jump in. So yes, I'm as brilliant as the training is at RADA and as thorough as it is, and I recognize the full torso swings and everything. I was like, that is not just RADA training here. <laughs> this woman is a dancer. Um, it was so beautiful to watch you move. And sometimes in TV shows, you know, when someone is playing someone who is a singer or a dancer, you go, sure, and you go along with it. Whereas with you, it was like totally convincing, 100% there. But the other thing is, I'm just getting madder at you now because I feel you've hit upon something something that took me so long to learn that you were like I just enjoyed being in the space that actually the job is the audition the journey is the job Mm. and when you get it great if you don't you're still on the journey and you're still doing the job part of the job is not getting it and to hit upon how do I make this a joyful process whatever the outcome and I felt that that was a message embedded in your part because without giving too much away without too many spoilers there isn't a a super happy big neat bow kind of Hollywood ending for your character but it is to me a deeply creative happy ending because she makes the choice to keep going And that's the victory. And I thought that was so meaningful. You know, I thought that had so much more power than just... I, I know someone who, who gave up acting uh, and they I, I remember saying to them, what's your favourite part when they were having a conversation with themselves about acting? And they said, my favourite part is getting the gig because I, I get picked. And I was like, oh, wow. that's not sustainable. <laughs> that won't feed you like yeah. spiritually for, for 30 years. No. Getting picked. Well, because the moment you get picked is so short. Our it's fr- so a, brief. A friend of mine who's very successful... So also, a rather trained actor said to me, "The best day is the day you get the job, because it's all to hope for. Then you get on the set, and it's all kind of compromise and tension, blah blah blah, or whatever it is, um, or you know, eight shows a week, and you know how dull that gets." Yeah. But I, I agree. I do hope there's a season two, and so that it's it's yeah. not. Um, so what happens next? It, your 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 character's journey isn't <laughs> isn't fully resolved yet. Um, but I also felt watching that 
particular dynamic because a lot of this show is about friendships between the different young women and about the romance of friendship is that when Amara has a conversation with Maggie, there are these constant, they adore each other, but there are these tensions because Maggie's character is very posh and privileged and she keeps talking to Amara as if you and me, we've got the same experience. So she'll sometimes belittle um, an experience that Amara's had, like perhaps being like being told mm. you're not going to make it as a dancer because you're the only person in the class that looks like this. Right. And it's easy for Maggie to, and, you know, 2012 as well, you know, before these conversations were taking place in a mainstream way, it's easy for her to dismiss it perhaps with the good intention of saying it'll be fine for you. Yeah but actually not listening to your experience. How was that to, did you, did you contribute to those conversations? Was there that there in the script? How did you, what conversations did you have around that conversation around privilege uh, set 10 years ago? Yeah, I think that was one of the most interesting things because I remember originally having a conversation with Dolly about it. And she was talking about how, when she kind of first drafted those sections of the show where those kind of speeches were happening, she realized that she was approaching it with a 2022 vocabulary on the things that, and on these things, a way that we are able to talk about them now in more of a public um, consciousness that we hadn't and the vocabulary that we didn't have back then and she was answering and replying to Amara and having these conversations with like a 2022 vocabulary and then she was like wait no this is this is what I would want I would have wanted this character who was kind of based off of my life like dramatized version of me this is what I would have wanted her to say at this time but actually that's she didn't have that vocabulary then so she kind of had to be like okay let's be intentional about the shortcomings of somebody in this situation and let's display them honestly because it's such a common thing um, amongst friendships those kind of dynamics where there's so much love but there's such a sense of kind of ignorance to what is actually going on and what is being said and it leads to kind of a lot of things kind of building up in whoever it is that they're kind of having that um, relationship with um, a lot of things building up and things not being said and it ends up in a kind of being like a bit of an explosion of emotion of can't you see like this is what you're doing so it was really interesting to have that and work with Dolly on that because there were moments I the day I think that we were filming or it was like a few days before we would like I was like going through the script with her and being like this feels like natural like a natural progression and maybe this wouldn't be as common in like a setting like this and she was so willing to hear and maneuver and like um work around it to make it feel really truthful and I feel like we did that so I'm really happy with that scene yeah Yeah. I mean I I think that sometimes the well-meaning ignorance and internalized um, biases and, and racism that people can hold can almost do more damage because it's not the kind of racism that you see coming at you like a fireball going, oh, avoid that awful, awful, horrible person. When it's people you right. love saying something that that negates or diminishes or reduces your experience and the things that you have to deal with moving through the world, that can almost, that, that can hurt so much more, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah. I, th- I think I wish there had been a show like this uh, or conversations like Mm. this when I was at drama school and later on, I remember, Mm. you know, 
an actor of colour who who wasn't cast in something that they really should have been cast in. And I was like, but you're amazing. Don't worry about it. You'll get the next one. And it was like, I wasn't white. And they saw the character as white. And that is why I didn't get it. Mm. And I was like... Right, gotcha. I'm not helping. I'm not helping by saying it ain't like this. I'm not helping. Yeah. I just need to sit with yeah, you and learn. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the insidious forms of these things. I think can be the scariest because those people aren't seeing it, or they're calling it something else, and it's not being talked about and unpicked in the light and the truth of what it is it means that it can never kind of be sold because nobody's being honest about it and nobody's bringing it to the surface because it's being called something else and it's being buried and or camouflaged as something completely different and so therefore no change can happen because you're not actually noticing that it's it's happening and I think that's it's it's it's, that is something very UK centric and I think it was really clever for Dolly to include that in there in the way that it is and the way that we kind of see it built without the show because I think that is something that happens here a lot and it's kind of displayed in its own microcosm in the show which is cool. I I felt as well it was a very devastating exchange and I think we are having different conversations about training now and I think this contributes so brilliantly to the conversation. When you discuss with you know the the teacher you're admiring and and looking up to and being inspired by your experience in in an audition as as Amara and you know this white ballet teacher saying tuck your bum in and I found that just so devastating and was and I thought you know places of training are very white spaces even now in 2012 it was worse and in my time it was worse again so I just wondered you know was that a very as an actor was that uncomfortably close to the surface or did you feel like I can really access the truth of this I I think it's really interesting because what I found really beautiful about the whole experience of kind of going in and digging through those factors of Amara's character was the idea that the, the importance isn't on what she looks like in her mind, it's everybody else's problem. She's entering the room, the world, every space as a dancer, as a person working in property, as whoever she is, as um, a person who's having fun on the dance floor with her friends, wherever she's stepping into the space, that's what she's bringing. And the idea of um, what she looks like and where she's from being a problem is everyone else's issue and not hers. And I feel like that's how I kind of went into this story because that's kind of the experience in the world it's not a thing that you think about and or worry about every day in the world going down the street like oh yeah I'm I'm black and I'm this or I'm da 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 like you just are you're existing in the world and if there's issues and there's problems it kind of comes from the outside in so I I feel like it has a lot to do with how you're going to look at the landscape of whatever you're kind of going into and for that character it had a lot to do with her just wanting to do the thing that she loved and then Dolly wanting to display that these things were happening in the wake of her just wanting to do something she loves. There's other characters in the show who want to do things they love, like um, Birdie wanting to get her job at John Lewis or like um, Maggie wanting to do her passion. And what we see kind of come come back at them as like the thing that's combating is completely different. And for her, it just so happens that it seeped in something 
a lot darker in terms of if we're going like back and where all these things have come from and um and it's and it's she's experiencing it in her friendships and so I think it was just the kind of natural discovery of what those things what what was happening in in that realm and where where we were seeing these problems but it's not her whole story and it's not who she is it's what kind of happens to her and that that's what was really interesting and that's what I wanted to hold on to in when I was playing her yeah Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com Mom deserves better than a drugstore card This Mother's Day surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. moonpig.com. At the heart of it, these are four young women doing their best to try and just get through their 20s the best way they can with as many fun experiences and brave moves as they possibly can um and i loved yeah. more than anything the partying scenes that that at home where they would learn choreographed dance routines just for themselves it was yeah. before instagram it was before was it, tiktok it was before tiktok yeah people just did that they were shit. doing it for themselves yeah. there's a lovely scene yeah. where i think is i think it's is it you and nell and uh i think your character and nell yes. and i think maggie comes home and we see it's it's like this it was like slow motion music video we see you and we don't know what it is and then maggie comes <laughs> in and turns off the music and and she goes yeah. what are you doing and and you go oh we're using the air, the air purifier as a fan <laughs> as a wind machine for a music video and it just made me laugh so much because i was like <laughs> Oh, that is so the kind of thing that I would have done when I was first in a, sharing a flat. You know, just those ridiculous 100%. things that are just free. Yeah. It's just cheap to do. It's just you know they've been yeah. given an air purifier because so the place free. is too damp, and the and the landlord won't fix it. So <laughs> and so we'll turn that into a music video. It's fantastic. Was it fun to learn all those choreographed dance routines? So much fun. Because the chemistry, you cannot fake that chemistry. The four of you were extraordinary in the way I just buy the history and the past and the connection. I was so immersed in your, it sort of effortlessly yeah. watched over me. I just felt I was at a dinner party with these people. How, was that, was that dumb luck? Did you have lots oh, of different amazing. chemistry reads? Like, how did that work? Funnily enough, I actually hadn't done a chemistry read with any of the girls. I'd had the when I, once I knew I had the job there was a day that I was supposed to but there was like a scheduling clash so it never happened and so the first day I met all of the girls who in some combinations had already met each other 
I was like the first day like in our rehearsal room and I was like, oh, well, hi, everyone. And oh, we all had to on that first day create a dance circle. And um, China, our director, and Anthony Misson, our choreographer, was like, okay, so I'm going to play some music. Everybody has a turn to go in the circle and I'm going to throw a word at you and you have to like tell me what your character's way of moving and what it would look like for that word. So if he was like seduction, like what does Amara's dance moves look like if she's doing seduction? And it was like five minutes. We had just all said hello, hi. It's so excited to be working with you for the next like five, six months. And so we all kind of had to be thrown in the center and do it. But through that, there was such an intense level of trust and vulnerability thrown about in the space that you couldn't help but become really close through it. It it required all of us to really trust each other in that moment and so and hold each other. And so from that, this natural chemistry was born because it was like, if I'm going to have to do this and be embarrassed in this space, I know that you're going to hold me on the end because I'm going to do the same for you once you have to come in and do it too. And I could feel the Mm. same, um, like, passion and intensity that I felt when I read the script of these friends who were so willing to like kind of just go out and let go and it was so real and it's so natural I felt it in that room that day and I had such a good feeling from then on and honestly it kind of just snowballed that same thing and every time we had a scene as a foursome you could just feel the kind of electricity we were really excited we'd be like oh my gosh guys we're all filming today because we do have those individual bits and storylines so there was a lot of stuff that we didn't see that we were so excited to see once the show came out you're like oh my gosh you did so well I didn't like when all the girls were dancing they never saw it they were like oh my gosh that's so good because we weren't there but those days that we could all do it together was so so much fun and that choreography stuff was amazing and Anthony was like Alia like put throw some moves in there you know because my character was one who was kind of centered around dance so I think it's the dance at the start of episode two some of those were my choreography I'm getting so emotional listening to you because I just think you don't often hear and Deborah you'll agree you don't often hear of this sort of process for television Mm. it's very much you know when you have six weeks at the Gerwood rehearsal space for the national sure we'll spend a week you know being in a in a uh, did you do the Enchanted Forest at Rada by any chance? Did you do the Enchanted Forest? Oh no, I wish okay. I did though. That's so, why I could well, be like, yeah. Well, you did this, <laughs> which is very similar in a way, like just, <laughs> you know, throwing yourself at some movement and just utterly playing in your imagination. And it's sort of, it's beautiful to hear that process yeah for television because all the goods are there up on screen like process is really Mm. helpful (laughs) like and it can be done and it can save you so so much time in the long run because that ease and comfort and chemistry you have just just let the camera catch that Mm -hmm. and you know and there it is yeah 100% I'm trying to our director was really adamant on having that rehearsal week because she wanted that chemistry to build really really naturally and um it it meant that those those times that we were together in scenes, there was backstories that we had created through improvisation. We did the first week. We did like a improvisation in the room where it was like, what would it have been like it when you all met each other at uni? And it was like everybody like finds Maggie's room um and you're knocking on her door and somebody's asking her if she has a razor and somebody's asking her if she has a packet of crisps and then you're all there and China was just kind of sitting there in the room watching us just absolutely go off on one completely like wonderful <laughs> having a whale of a time and like also it was the like one of the 
first days of meeting each other. So within this improvisation was actual, I feel like real things of like, oh my gosh, I love that in your hair. And this is really cute. And it kind of just into like mesh with each other, the like reality of us as four women and then those girls in that story. Yeah. I love that. I love hearing that because you can really see that on the screen, that the chemistry is really there. And also, you know, through this story, there's the really close, intense friendship of Maggie and Birdie who go even way back. They go back to being kids together and they meet when they look like they're about nine or ten or something (laughs) like that. And then the jealousy that can spring up when one of you gets a boyfriend who takes priority. And that's real, that pain, I think, between friends when you're each other's first priority for a very very long time and then suddenly something else comes in between you um all it's done so well I will what I do think I mean it it obviously evokes sex the city which I know Dolly loves and it evokes girls uh which I'm sure Dolly loves as well but it was very much its own thing because I think it it sat so cleverly in in and truthfully authentically in London and in Camden where I live um but more than that it's the first show that I've ever seen uh where I feel like some of the time I missed I sort of missed out on most of my 20s um because I was a Jehovah's Witness when I was younger and I had to spend time getting out of it and then I had to spend time in trauma recovery, sort of trying to be 26. I was sort of learning to be 16 when I was 26, if you see what I mean in some ways. So I missed out Mm. on that. And I've always had this sort of regret and longing. So when I see those shows, I always, although Sex and the City is 30-something, I see though, I sort of think, oh, I wish I'd had more of that. But watching this show, what it really brought home to me is I did have my 20s because the Maggie character who's based on Dolly Alderton, she's this sort of willowy Mm. party girl who everyone wants at every party, beautiful men she meets on trains want to sleep with her. And, And within that experience is isolation, feeling used, feeling ugly, feeling lonely, as well as feeling joyful and I it was a show I had a huge epiphany when I watched the show I went you didn't miss your 20s you just experienced a different sort of loneliness but youth will have joy yeah youth will find a way at having fun and I had fun I felt lonely and I and I had fun and I watched this show and it was the first show where I went you didn't miss anything and so it really oh, meant a Deborah. lot to me yeah it really meant yeah. a lot to me because I went I did have those times in flats with that is, that's girls funny. like Amara you know um, friends like Amara and Nell, who we haven't yeah. talked about, is another incredible character. Oh, fantastic character. Birdie. I did have, we did live in flats when I was yeah. a young Jehovah's Witness. We did all that. We had dinner parties. We sang in our pyjamas. Yeah. We did all of that. I just had a different sort of lonely void. And I had a different, my lonely void was to be found in a different place. Yeah. And my big joys would be found in female friendship because they will find a way. Yeah. I I think I'm just getting my headphone because it fell out of my ear, but um, I was just going to say, I think what you said is really important because even watching this, oh gosh, they're all going now. Even watching this show, you, um, you do see a very specific kind of 
way of living your 20s and enjoying yourself with your friends. But I also love the idea of what you're saying, that there are so many versions of that for so many different people. My experience thus far of my 20s haven't been like completely like the girls that we've been playing in this show, but there's so much about it that felt so natural and real because it was another version of something that I have experienced in a completely different way. And I think that's what's special about the show and hopefully other people can feel and relate to is that those emotions are universal. And I think that's something Dolly kind of takes with her from her writing of the book is the universal emotion of feeling lonely or feeling like you don't have something together or finding so much joy in um, a friend. And that is, I think, the the biggest thing. If, if we're going to say like anything in terms of taking away from the show and learning is that it doesn't look like one thing and it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to feel like I've missed out because it didn't look like this because all every single one of those girls, I think have like this deep loneliness that you're talking about in completely different ways. In terms of Maggie, we know that it's her thing of wanting to kind of be this person and live this life, but feeling kind of inadequate in so many arenas with Amara, you have her sense of wanting to live this life and be this girl and get things right. She has a line where it's like, I'm not going to fall in love until I have all these things, all my ducks in place. And I, I remember reading that and was like, that's somebody who's really scared to get it wrong. And is scared about what people are going to think about her. And there's so many things that uh, are there, but underneath the surface that we haven't seen. And even with her friendships and the relationships, the way in which her friends may be saying things to her and they don't know how they're hitting her and she's lonely in that feeling. And then there's now with the feelings that she's going on with her relationship and her boyfriend that nobody kind of knows about. And she's kind of having to deal with that. And I'm Birdie being like, I'm, I'm like, I love these girls and I like, I'm like these girls in so many ways, but then there's this whole other chasm of me that isn't. And I don't know if that makes me feel, I don't know, less than and da, 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 da. And I don't want to speak for all of them, but that's kind of reading the story. I could feel this kind of loneliness and this, like something missing for every single one of them, as well as this immense joy and love. That's brilliantly elucidated for me, kind of because I'm, I'm. It's like zooming out a bit, and in if it does share something with girls in Sex and City, is that these could all be parts of the same person, almost like parts of the whole. That there's yeah. then diagrams of all all kinds of shared truthfulness. Um, I, I oh. Deborah urged me to watch it. She said, "I no, I think I think you're really." I was sort of afraid to watch it because I thought I would feel like I'd miss my twenties. I thought I'd watch beautiful actors um have a dazzling time oh, in london oh. and that i would f- i would go well it was like that for me yeah, i mean you do see that as well if you're listening to this podcast you definitely do see diaphanous <laughs> women in 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 just sort of glorious sequence just just falling slightly just, off just, the just, shoulder just, just ever so slightly and a lot of it asian provocateur that i don't know how she could have afforded yeah but lingerie and this none of your none of your primark let me tell you uh, but, but what i would say is that actually, Deborah, we were gorgeous. 
We, Shut up. We were. I was looking at them going, look at these beautiful women. And then I was like, we were bloody gorgeous too. But I feel like you know? I'm gorgeous now. Oh, oh we yeah. are. We are. Listen, oh, oh no, don't get it twisted. Where is this? Don't get it twisted. No, I just mean that I I sort of, I, 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 I listen, let me clarify. Now that I was in my 20s. I agree. Same, 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 same. No, no, no. Don't get it twisted. Listeners, listeners, I mean, stay with me. I, I know I sounded a bit like, oh, do you remember when we were in our 20s and we were gorgeous? No, it's just, I, I feel, I do feel vital and sexy now and I I, I can't you know I have a lot more love for myself in my 40s than I did in my 20s but that doesn't take away from the fact that I was in your 40s you're barely 40 <laughs> thanks you 40 yesterday oh <laughs> I'm so in my 40s in my 40s that's like, oh, a, that's like a 20 year old it, was, it wasn't yesterday but it was a very recently such an attractive laugh uh, I feel sexy <laughs> wheeze wheeze um <laughs> you that, now you sound like the um, the Marge's sisters in uh, in The Simpsons. I know. There. Listen, like, I hoop and cough as a child. All right, this is sometimes when I'm when I truly am laughing. I sound like I have um, uh, the, the plague. I love but, that. But I don't. But but yes. No. I'm sorry. My point was that like I I, I couldn't have felt further from beautiful in my twenties, and I think Maggie yeah. and at all times different characters in this feel so far from beautiful. Like it's really shocking when Nella's like, "You don't see me as yeah. a sexual person," and it's like. Bloody hell, I yeah. have while I've been watching. I think you're stunning. You remind me of Shirley Manson from Garbage, like sexiest woman in the world. Like all, uh. all, the, all those things kind of, and I look back on pictures of myself, you know, and I was so gorgeous and I was, and I can third year at Rada. Yeah. You know, I felt like I was made of potato surrounded by English roses. Oh, man, I really yeah. did. And I look back now and I remember a classmate saying to me, oh, everyone was jealous of your stomach. And I was like, What? What? You know, we have no idea. We're such idiots when we're young. And and I remember thinking even the side gag of the girls in the pancakes, you know, there's a lot of side gags of their their leafleting. Man, I did kids parties as mermaids and pirate queens. Like you do some wild jobs in your 20s, man. And actually, I found it so relatable. I thought I'd feel like an old fogey who missed it. And actually, no, it really was there to connect to. And, well, I'll tell you someone who's not going to be doing jobs uh, handing out leaflets dressed Mm -hmm. as a pancake, Um, and that is Alia, because if that's your first job out of RADA, I can only think it's onwards and upwards and Hollywood calling. Um, You are extraordinary in this. Um, Truly. And and as are all the leads, and and I will say also, Emma Appleton's performance as Maggie, you really, really do feel when she's with Street, who is, if you... If tune in to watch who street is mm. you i believed Please. it i was like when he would make her feel that way oh i believe that in my heart my soul i believed it we've all been down that street no. we've all been down that street and we've all been down that street and so alley, let me tell you round that muse um <laughs> <laughs> in that cul-de-sac in and out in and out and in and out of that cul-de-sac uh it is uh a, it's a what it's been wonderful to see you work on screen it's now been wonderful to have you on the podcast it's going to be wonderful oh, to see what you do next. Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? And where can we see you next? Which is a question sometimes actors dread. Oh. So we can always edit this out. This <laughs> It's not Christmas time and I'm not your nan. So why are you in that EastEnders? Um, but yes. <laughs> there's there's exciting things. <gasps> like I'm like... We, we we don't know, but like um, um, there's always things in the pipeline. So I feel like... 
I it's like from you being at RADA, like you, you'll know, like it's one of the most exciting things to have people watch you and champion you because as an actor, you kind of just want to do work that you believe in, that makes you feel something that makes your friends and family and the people you know. And hopefully then by extension, the world feels something. And so it's so cool to have people watch and champion. So stick with those actors that you, that you loved in a show and watched and stay tuned for things that they do because that's amazing. So I'll say that. But um, also I think, I think just how incredible the hair and makeup and costume were on this show was like massive for me. It made the biggest difference when it came to actually doing the role and being the character. Um, There were such integral things that became kind of points along the story as important as the like dialogue was for so many of the characters and Janet Horsford Lucas, who was the head of hair and makeup, and then um, Matt Price, who's the head of like costume, they were just incredible. And the journeys that we kind of went on and the collaborations were just mind blowing. And yeah, and shout out to them because it did. It was such a massive part of that hair show. Hair makeup so. and art direction. That's it, really. Oh, oh, fantastic. And it's a show. narrow target. It's 10 mm. years ago. It's a narrow target. And there were just moments where I was like, yeah, we were all trying to dress like Sienna Miller. You mm. know, we were all doing that boho thing. Um, some of us still are. I felt quite attacked when I felt quite attacked when people were like slagging off her hats. I was like, I still wear fedora sometimes. I'm feeling my, feeling my oats on, on an it's, autumn it's day. It's all coming back. It's all coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> if you are listening to this and thinking you need a new guilty feminist watch. There are lots of moments that feel more guilty than feminist. Mm-hmm. There are certainly moments that feel more feminist than guilty. So if you are a guilty feminist, I heartily recommend you get the Jaffa cakes out, you cancel your plans this evening and you get your binge on for everything I know about love. And then pull the old uh, fan or humidifier out and use it as a wind machine. Top tip. Make it oh, easy yeah. video. And dust off the Please. gilet and the, and the fedora because it's coming back, folks. <laughs> Just you wish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Deborah, I, I'm in denial. <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com